After I'd been asked to speak at tonight's service, that was a few weeks ago, I started thinking, as no doubt other people do, where do I start? Because it's not, it's not easy. It's a wee bit more daunting sometimes too when you're speaking in your own, in your own fellowship. What topics rather that I could be capable of presenting? Because I, I'm, I'm not a Bible scholar, I'm certainly not a Bible teacher. But what happens then in my experience is that you tend to depend on your prayer life, past experience, and looking to God to prompt thoughts into your mind. Also, inevitably, various favourite Bible passages come to mind. It's really a bit of a whirlwind of thoughts at that stage. And sometimes it's difficult just to to establish what what direction you want to be going in. But recently, I was reading passages which related to lessons from the life of David. And I believe that this is what will be beneficial for us to look at tonight. Now, I don't know. Every time I'm up here, I think, I say, I don't know where you're at this week, what's happening in your life. What's going on? So it's on that basis that we're going to move forward tonight and look at some of the, some of the things in David's life. However, what seemed to underline the direction I was going in was on Wednesday night when a pastor actually read some of the same, same passage that we've just read tonight. We hadn't spoken about it. We hadn't had any conversation. So that sort of gave me a wee bit of encouragement as to what we could look at tonight. So we've read, we've read our passage and it's been read from the Word Translation. Now, the reason that I've done that is, and I don't want to use that, it just seems relevant in contemporary text, and I think it brings a passage to life tonight. So in the context of what we're looking at from David's life, I believe that the words of Romans 8 and 28 are very relevant for us to keep in mind as well. And that says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So where are we in our walk with God today? We'll just hold that thought just now. But firstly, I believe it's important to know and believe that God actually has a plan for each of our lives, which will unfold over time. But there's got to be a starting point where we actually recognise that we're being spoken to. And it's not just us that are moving forward, but there is a plan. In David's case, and as we read in 1 Samuel 16, God says to Samuel, Fill your flask with anointing oil and get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I spotted the very king I want among his sons. So this will be unknown to David at the time, certainly unknown to Jesse and the rest of the family. How specific is this? And Samuel must have been wondering about the plan. But he immediately presented a negative back to God. We don't do that, do we? But he did. In this case, he said, I can't do that. Saul will hear about it and kill me. So I ain't, I'm not going down that road. But God had a plan. told Sammy to take a heifer with him and announced that if anybody asks him any questions, I've come to lead you in worship. And this heifer is a sacrifice. In these days, obviously, they would have celebrations and sacrifice an animal. And it was all part of a healing and cleansing process in some cases as well. So many times do we say that we're open to being led by God and his plan for our lives and then come up with some negatives. Sometimes not easy because our personal circumstances don't allow for us to have clear thoughts at that point. But it can cover a lot of areas. It can cover things like witnessing at work, which isn't always easy. At school or college, for young folk nowadays, it's not always easy. It's great to talk about it, but it's not always easy. School, what a changed changed place that is nowadays. When boys and girls aren't even called boys and girls, they're just all classed as pupils. 
So we can come up with these, these things and it covers a lot of areas. It can cover looking at our career path, changes to our daily regime to allow time to meditate in God's word and spend time in prayer. The challenge for us all, including, including me, is what ratios of time, energy, fellowship and money are utilised for personal things versus giving to God? How often do we thank God for the simple blessings of today? In terms of the weather, food, health, homes to live in. Sometimes we take all of our situations for granted. And that's, that's, that's part for the course because we've had it for so long and we've got it and we're comfortable. We sometimes take our situations for granted, as I said, until something goes wrong. Then we turn to God, but that's not really the way it should be. How many times do people say to you, well, if, if God was a good God, why does he let X, Y or Z happen? And people tend to focus on the negatives rather than the positives that we have in our life. However, the big thing to note here is David started out as a shepherd but ended up as a king. The chances of this are very minimal to say the least because shepherds were so low in the social pecking order that they couldn't testify in a court of law because their word wasn't considered reliable. Yet, he ended up writing the most widely read Psalms of all time. I don't know about you, but when certain workers come to my door and you say, have you only got a mobile number? Nah, I'll get somebody else to do it where I can phone them and strave in a risco bride or whatever. And it's in that kind of context that the shepherds were not, were not accepted. So we need to understand what's really happening here. When we invite God into our lives, he cancels the liabilities of our past and rewrites our future. There's an interesting contrast here between Paul and David. Paul lived his chapters of disobedience before he met Christ, including seeking out and murdering Christians. This included Paul holding the coats of the people who were going to stone Stephen to death. And then after God had stopped him in his tracks with temporary blindness, he went on to live an an exemplary life. David, on the other hand, became king at 30. During his 40 years in leadership, experienced devastating failure including adultery and murder and having experiences of living in caves while being chased by Saul and his army. And that wasn't comfortable. We can talk about that. We can talk about the cave of Adullam. We can talk about... These were places... Go, in, go into a cave nowadays. Go in, you see these guys going down pothole and stuff. They are not comfortable places to be. And that's where he had to live. So David's stories are warning to us all as we can transgress God's laws. It's a rebuke to self-righteous people a verification that God won't allow us to escape the consequences of our actions and a testimony to his love that will never let go of us. In all of this, we need to remember that God can bring good out of what seems like a bad situation. He can take every experience we have been through and make it work for good. The bottom line is that God can make all things work together for good. So that's the first part of what we're looking at in David's life tonight. Secondly, it's God who makes the choice. When Samuel came to David's house to pick the next king of Israel, David wasn't even considered. In fact, and that's the only word that I didn't like in that. You know, he, he was the sort of runt of the family. He was the last one. If you've got a litter of dogs or whatever, the last one can, can sometimes be a bit questionable. But anyway, he was, the, he was the youngest person. So he wasn't even considered. All other seven of Jesse's sons had been brought in before Samuel. At least three of them looking really acceptable and applicable for the job to the human eye based on their outward experience. 
but God chose David. In 1 Samuel 16, verses 11 and 12, I'll just get this. We read, then he asked Jesse, is this it? Are there no more sons? Well, yes, there's the youngest. But he's out tending the sheep. Not a lot of importance placed in that. Samuel ordered Jesse. He didn't just say to him, any chance of getting him in. He said, go and get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. So Jesse sent for him. He was brought in, the very picture of health, bright-eyed and good-looking. And God said, up on your feet, anoint him. He's the one. How often in life do we make judgments of our own worth against that of others in both Christian and personal lives? Someone can always be smarter, someone can always be better looking, more athletic, just an all-round great person. I would love to be six feet. My body's the right length, but my legs are too short. But that's the way it is. And you can't, be careful what you wish for. You can't, you can't make yourself into somebody else. And what does it matter about other people? Because God has got me, God has got you, and we're all individual people. But referring back to Paul, in modern day terms, he seemed to be an absolute academic a bit of a geeky person. Sure, he had a major part to play in developing New Testament theology and moving away from blood sacrifices of animals to redemption and the death of Jesus. But he certainly wasn't everybody's cup of tea. And various places that he went, he had to be rescued. He, was, he had various shipwrecks. He, had, he was imprisoned many times. He had bones broken. He was beaten up. He was stoned once, one occasion, nearly to death. So he had a major part to play but, and it wasn't, it wasn't an easy thing for him to do. So we need to understand that as individual people and Christians, we're all different. That definitely doesn't mean that different views are wrong. They're just different. My good friend Tommy and I, we have various discussions about things. We can, we can have different opinions, but he's never wrong and I'm never wrong. And I'm not always right and he's not always right. But that's the way it is and that's the way it should be. We should be able to discuss things with people. We should be able to talk about things freely. We should be able to be different, but still our own person. But still we know that we're confident in God's love for us. Samuel, Jesse. Give me a second here. Sorry, Samuel, Jesse, and David's father and David's brothers had no idea that their wee brother would be the next king of Israel, but God did. Tell me the last time that you could see clearly into the future and know of a surety where you would be and what you'd be doing exactly five, ten, or however many years' time. We can't do it. We can try and plan a, a career. We can try and plan what we want to do. We can try and plan where our next house move's going to be. We can try and plan so many things. But tell me, when was the last time you were able to plan it? However, now think back a bit and see how your life has panned out and the knowledge that hindsight is an exact science. You can put perspective into your life's experiences and see why things happened when they did. I've done that a number of times over the years, not, not necessarily looking to do it, but you just think, now I understand why that happened when, and it just does give you the perspective that you need. Pretty sure that, for example, various missionaries that we know may well have been sure of God's calling in their lives, but not aware of where that would lead. Hazel, who was with us this morning she sailed out in one of the, the ships the missionary ships and guess what it was either Doulos or Logos I can't remember the ship I bet you she didn't know at the time where she was going to end up but she knew that she was in God's plan there are other people that we've known 
I'm sure we've all known from missionary people, we won't think, I wonder why, I wonder why they've gone there, I wonder why they've taken that road. It's because God knew the plan first and people are now following it. So we're not always aware of where we're going to be led, but we can be aware of God's calling in our lives. Currently, we're looking at a fresh vision for this church to see what God would have us do. And in that context, where do I or you fit into this? Are we praying for this in our daily prayer times? Because we've been speaking about it now probably for about two years, I would think. And we've had various charts up and we've had various aspects of how we want the church to move forward. So if we're not doing recognising this in our daily prayer times, how, we tend, how do we expect things to happen? Church life is pretty much the same as work life. And a range of different characters make up the whole profile. But in essence, 80% of the main bulk of the work is done by 20% of the people. And that's a consistently staggering statistic. I've spoken, I made a point of speaking to some people and I've spoken to people just generally. And I'm, <coughs> sorry, I, I meet a lot of people in the course of business. And it's just like, sometimes it's, you know the people that if you need something done, they're the go-to people and the others will maybe follow on eventually. However, 80% of the people, 80% of the work rather than by 20% of the people. What percentage do you fall into? What percentage do I fall into? We're currently looking for leaders in the boys' brigade, Exodus, Sunday school. We're looking for support for some other areas, for example, setting out and stacking the chairs for a seniors' meeting on a Monday, and I see that happened, that happened today, Monday afternoons. The same applies to the Wednesday prayer meeting. Do we continue with all the church organisations that we have, have had historically? Or do we accept that some may have come to a natural end and we need to refresh our vision in these areas? Don't let's kid ourselves on. If we're looking for a fresh vision, we need to be prepared to accept what God puts our way. God will have made his choice for each one of our lives. Do you know what it is yet? It's maybe just time to ask. We need a whole range of people with a variety of skills. We need teachers, helpers, caterers, visit, people with visitation skills, fabric maintenance, practical assistance and many more. But never underestimate your place in God's plan and don't allow your own comparison of yourself to undermine the important part you have to play in God's plan. Even King Saul didn't know at this stage that David would take over from him as Israel king and did not see any significance in David's life. That was until when Saul was going through a long period of depression instigated by God, it was recognised that music could soothe the symptoms. This was when another part of God's plan for David was activated. Some of Saul's advisors had heard David playing music and advised Saul that David's musical ability would be therapeutic for him. Their description of David was, I know someone, I've seen him myself. The son of Jesse of Bethlehem, an excellent musician. He's also courageous, of age, well-spoken and good-looking. And God is with him. Saul then said to bring David to him. David was now accepted into Saul's presence permanently and as we read, he became Saul's right-hand man. He didn't, he didn't have a clue what the plan was. David, this younger guy, brought into his court because he can play music. And guess what? God put his man right there to understand the workings of what goes on when you're a king. And then Saul sent word back, sorry, Saul, Saul said to bring David to him. And David was now accepted into Saul's presence permanently. I've said that, sorry. Saul sent word back to Jesse and said, thank you, David will stay here. He's just the one I was looking for. I'm very impressed by him. Now who would have thought that? God's plan 
is being acted out here. Oblivious, other people are oblivious to it. Then thirdly, there's the battles that we need to fight to maintain progress in life. When David was 15 years old and out being a shepherd, what would have been his thoughts? He had encountered and fought with lions and bears, so he was a strong young guy. He wasn't frightened. His youthfulness could work against him in some situations, no doubt. However, he seemed to trust his instincts in life. If there was something that needed done around the flock of sheep, if there was an animal that needed dealt with, he was a man to do it. Three of his older brothers, Eliab, Abinadab and Shammah, were in King Saul's army. David went back and forth between the battle site, taking food to his brothers and tending his father's sheep in Bethlehem. That's actually quoted, it wasn't, they weren't classed as his sheep, he was tending his father's sheep in Bethlehem. One day Jesse told David to take some food to his brothers and the captain of the division and to check on his brother's welfare for Jesse's peace of mind. We are told, and this is, this is why I think this is contemporary, this translation, David was up at the crack of dawn and having arranged for someone to tend his flock, took the food and was on his way just as Jesse had directed him. We learn from this that David was keen to please his father and looking forward to seeing his brothers. He also covered the fact that someone would need to look after his flock. It specifically says to us, yeah, he was going to go and do it after he'd made sure that somebody would look after the responsibilities which he had. So he was keen to please his father. Someone looked after the flock pretty comprehensive in attention to detail. Do we take a pride in what we do in God's service or is it just a case of that'll do? And I've worked with guys, no doubt we all have, you'll say, yeah, that'll be fine. So-and-so will never find out. That'll, that'll do it. But you are always found out because it needs to be the best job that you can actually do at the time. Our modern must-have-it-now attitude is, I believe, taking the pride out of taking the time to do a job well. I think that's also evident in general, not just in a Christian walk. David had covered all the bases here with not a smartphone, tablet or computer in sight. How reliant are we on today's technology? How reliant are we on it? How, how do we just take it as that's been part of our lives now? It's undoubtedly good the technology and beneficial to us all. However, we've lost a range of practical skills and thought processes which we need to guard against. The main one, I believe, is available time and how we utilise it. You can't go anywhere now. I've seen people pushing buggies on their phones. I've seen people crossing the road when the green man's on and the green man's going off and they're still on their phone. You see people, you can't sit in a, in a cafe, you can't sit in a restaurant, you can't sit anywhere now with people and it's like, nobody's contacting me for 22 minutes. I don't, I don't know if I'm loved any longer. I mean to get out of that. I mean to come back to just looking at our time and how we utilise it. And I'm certainly not criticising new technology because it's moved us all forward. Beyond, If you think back to where we were 20 years ago and you think where we are now, you would have thought the advances in that time were impossible. However, what do we do with our time? How do we utilise it? Anyway, David arrives at the battleground and received a mixed welcome and sarcastic comments from his brothers regarding tending the sheep. What are you doing here? You should be back watching the sheep. You will be fine. Blah, blah, blah. Little did they know what God's plan was. This is the whole point of what we're talking about tonight, and this is moving into the, the sort of active phase. Saul's army had been being terrified for 40 days by a new Philistine champion, Goliath. It tells us in the Bible he was nearly 10 feet tall, and he wore armor which weighed 126 pounds, which is, in today's money, nine stones. Probably not far off David's weight. 
He continually challenged and goaded Saul's army into sending out the best fighter. However, no one took up the challenge. Obviously, they didn't know God's plan either. Enter David. He then goes straight in. Straight in and says, what's in it for the man who kills the Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot in Israel's honour? Who does he think he is anyway? Taunting the armies of God. David seemed to have more of a sense of God's plan and will than Saul and his army. He seemed, what are you guys all doing? You're all soldiers, you're all big brave guys. Forty days this has been going on and nobody's done anything about it. Saul and everyone else told David that he was too young to fight this giant of a man until David had a chat about his exploits with Saul who was then persuaded and said, go and God help you. He told him, listen, I've, I've sorted out a lion and a bear or on more than one occasion, bigger animals. He said, I'm, I'm okay and I've got God on my side. Saul and everyone else didn't understand this, but no matter how they tried, David could not wear Saul's armour because it was far too heavy and cumbersome. This would have been man's solution to the issue and up until this point seemed to exclude any communication with God. So David, acting under God's planned solution, took his staff, went to a nearby brook. He chose five smooth stones, put them in his pocket. Then, fully armoured with his staff, sling and five smooth stones, carefully chosen stones, he approached Goliath. I'm going to read that wee bit again in 1 Samuel 16, verses 41 to 44. After he'd been told you can't fight with this great giant, you're very young as a man of war, trained from his youth, <coughs> David answered King Saul, I'm only a shepherd, but I've fought with lions and bears when they've tried to steal my sheep, and I'm not afraid to fight with this Philistine. We've gone through the bit about the armour, and he said, I'm not used to fighting with such weapons as these. Just let me fight my own way. I'll sort it. So David took off Saul's armour. While everybody in the army had been looking on the giant with fear, David had been thinking out the best way for fighting him. And God had given to David a plan. It was to throw the giant off his guard by appearing weak and helpless. And while so far away that the giant couldn't reach him with sword or spear, to strike him down with a weapon which the giant would not expect and would not be prepared for. Just going to read another bit here. The giant looked down on the youth and despised him and laughed. Am I a dog, he said that this boy comes to me with a staff. I'll give his body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And the Philistine cursed David by the gods of his people. And David answered him, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a dart, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. This day will the Lord give you into my hand. I will strike you down and take off your head and the host of the Philistines shall be dead bodies to be eaten by the birds and the beasts, so that all may know that there is a God in Israel and that you can save in other ways besides sword and spear. I don't know about you, but that, I mean, when you, when you think about this, there's this battlefield and there's this young guy shouting at a guy that's nearly 10 feet tall and all the other soldiers are like nowhere to be seen. But he's got the confidence of God and saying, I will sort you. Now that's like sending a 10-year-old boy out to fight a 
a professional boxer. You know, the, the task just looks absolutely impossible. But then we read, And David ran toward the Philistine, as if to fight him with the shepherd's staff. But when he was just near enough for a good aim, he took out his sling and hurled a stone aimed at the giant's forehead. David's aim was good. The stone struck the Philistine in his forehead. It stunned him and he fell to the ground. It actually says in the Bible, it fell face down in the dirt. What a fantastic, what a fantastic image that is of this big guy just being cut down by a 15-year-old guy. But they were, then we're told, while the two armies stood wondering and scarcely knowing what had caused the giant to fall so suddenly, David ran forward. I love this bit, drew out the giant's sword and cut off his own head. Cut off his head. Then the Philistines knew that their great warrior in whom they trusted was dead. They turned to flee their own land and the Israelites followed after them and killed them by the hundred and the thousand, even to the gates of their own city of Gath. So on that day, David won a great victory and stood before all the land as the one who had saved his people from his enemies. And that's quite graphic. The lesson here is that David was assured. But he also said, during what he was talking about and during what he was shouting at Goliath and telling Saul and, the, and his army, the battle belongs to God. Just a second here. David answered, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of the God of the, the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops whom you curse and mock. This very day God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you and then we know what, what the other bits are. So the battle belongs to God. David was assured in what he said and what he promised to do to Goliath. That really wound Goliath up and he started moving towards David and David then took off. But the interesting thing is, and I don't think I've ever realised before, David actually ran towards him. More or less saying to him, I'll have you with my, my shepherd's crook or whatever. And then he used a different tactic. The Philistine crashed face down in the dirt and that's how David beat Goliath. It was undoubtedly God's plan. There's a few lessons that we can learn from this. Firstly, sometimes, many times in life, the issues which we have looked at, and we have, the issues that we have rather, are looked at in human terms and seem to be gigantic. But these can take the shape of a whole range of things. They can take the shape of poor health, something that's just come, acro come across us health-wise. Financial issues, exam, sitting and results, family issues, work issues and many more. I don't want to oversimplify these things. As they're hurtful periods when we go through them individually, they're very real. Sometimes we can think about somebody's situation that we've heard and we can either make a comment about it or think about it. But if somebody's, if somebody's going through a period of ill health or if somebody's going through a financial issue or if somebody's going through, when you're caught in that vortex, that's an indifferent an entirely different scenario to standing outside and trying to give advice. I don't want to oversimplify it, as I've said, and they are real. However, God never said to us that we wouldn't have any challenges in life, but he would show us a way through them. The lives of David and Paul are testament to this, and also even Jesus went through so many trials during his ministry. What Goliath do we have to deal with in our lives? What things are affecting us day by day? What things do we have to face but don't want to? We need to be like David and run at or towards our Goliaths 
and with a slingshot of prayer. So many times, you know, I was listening to, to a guy, American guy, Ryan Grothaus, and he was speaking about making a, a, a mark in life. And he actually was talking about things, and he, he said in his youth ministry in the church that he's in, um, people come to him and say, oh, can, you, can you talk to my son, or can you talk to my daughter? You, well, what's the issue? And say, well, it's maybe exams, it's maybe this, it's maybe that. Or my son's going out with a girl that we don't think he should be going out with, or my daughter's going out with a guy. He said, them, have you prayed about it? And he said, very often the reaction he gets is, uh, no. Well, why don't you? And he's got a three-year-old daughter, and he said, he was encouraging parents to start praying even at a very early age for their children's lives. You can't actually guarantee or dictate who they're going to go out with, who they're going to marry, who. You can't guarantee any of that. But you can start praying about it at an early stage and see how we can gain strength through our lives and indeed insight into what God wants us to do and what our families perhaps want to do. And one of the biggest Goliaths that I have in my life is my own direct family, how they've been brought up through the church. This is, this is sometimes happens in a, in a number of families. But right now, there's not a lot of appetite for the things of God. And all that you can do is encourage. You can't, you can't mandate anything. You can't do anything. But all you can do is pray and hope and get confidence from that prayer. So we've all got Goliaths, but we can run at them with a slingshot of prayer. The other thing to be assured of is that God always has a plan for our lives. And we need to pray earnestly about this. Sometimes answers will be delayed and ultimately don't seem to be reason, reasonable as they're not what we desired. That's the part that I said earlier about we don't know what the future holds, but we can look back in the context of hindsight being an exact science and say, now I understand why that happened when it did. So we need to keep on going. And because something happens or because something doesn't fit in with our plan, doesn't mean to say that God has deserted us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because Goliath himself was so big, he thought he was invincible. I've known a few guys in my life that have thought they've been invincible, and guess what? Either in, in business or whatever, they get cut down. And I don't mean physically, I just mean sometimes people are brought down to size in a way that we don't understand at the time. But he thought he was invincible, as did the Philistine army. What a mistake to make. Because they're all behind this big guy saying, on you go, big man, we're right behind you. And they, they were making a big, big mistake. We can meet people in life who are big physically or have a big presence and taking advantage of this negatively towards other people. However, be assured that some of the biggest personalities have the softest centres. Look at pop stars, athletes, football players, all the big egos that are fed. How many of them fall by the wayside when the career's over? When they're not going out onto a football pitch and when they're not going out onto somewhere to the acclaim of the people that have come to watch them. It's a very shallow life. It's a very shallow, um, shallow way to be. So the most important thing to ask for in our Christian life is for God's will to unfold in our present and our future. The past is behind us. We can't do that and we don't want to allow past negative experiences to affect our positive future. In that context, I'm going to read a poem that I've read before. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I've found it quite an encouragement in my life because every so often I just take this out and read it, and I'm going to read it just now. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, and the road you're trudging seems 
all uphill. When funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile but you have to sigh. When things are pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as everyone of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about when we might have won if we'd stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You might succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to the victor's crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. You never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems afar. So, stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worst that you mustn't quit. So just in conclusion, nearly finished. David's life had held many triumphs and also events which he absolutely regretted. There's absolutely no doubt about that. When David looked over his life, he would see the early part of his life and say, I was in tune with God. I was following God's plan. And later on, circumstances overtook him. Someday we'll all die. And our last words are often considered our most important. Apart from that, many funerals that we go to, we think, I didn't know half, half of what that person was about. And I thought I knew them over so many years. But sometimes our last words are considered the most important. The question is, have you and I lived our lives to the highest potential and fulfilled God's purpose? Were David's last words about Goliath or Saul or Bathsheba? No. David, the man who was raised up so high, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said in 2 Samuel 23, The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, The one who rules righteously in the fear of God is like the morning at sunrise. A morning without clouds, the gleaming of the sun on the new grass after rain. Yes, he has made an everlasting covenant with me. What a picture that is. And we've all seen it, I'm sure. The gleaming of the sun and new grass after rain. Yes, he has made an everlasting covenant with me. Are we sure we're walking God's will? How can we find it? How will we know? Another wee verse that I've quoted here before is Isaiah 42 and 16. And again, I think that the message just encapsulates this in a way that I haven't really seen before. Isaiah 42 and 16, it says, <clears throat> I'll take the hands of those who don't know the way, who can't see where they're going. I'll be a personal guide to them, directing them through unknown country. I'll be right there to show them what roads to take, make sure they don't fall into the ditch. These are the things I'll be doing for them, sticking with them, not leaving them for a minute. What a promise that is. God's not going to see us. He, and the, the other translations say, you lead the blind by ways they have not known, but we're confident in being led. So I wonder at this, at what stage in his life experience David wrote, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You alone are my strength and shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you. We need to know that the Goliaths in our lives are not normally as big as they seem at critical points. 
I trust that what we've looked at tonight will be helpful as we leave here into a new week. And remember, the battle belongs to the Lord.